Good morning, and welcome, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online. Uh, every week we have three to 500 different homes that uh, sign up and watch us also live stream, and hundreds more that come back and have heard about a message and want to, you know, archive one of our messages. So um, thank you for being here. We consider it an honor and also an obligation. Uh, we're in a new series that began last week on Easter Sunday. And it's called, Can I Ask That? And in a moment, you'll see the number on the screen that you're invited to text a question on the subject matter for the day. That number is also posted on the upper left-hand corner of your information piece that you had passed out. So if it disappears on the screen, you can still find it there if you have a question on the topic. Now, Pastor Garrett, our senior pastor last week, uh, I'm Steve Howard, by the way, I don't know if I said that or not, but uh, one of our teaching pastors, but our senior pastor last week opened the series by asking the question, is there life after death? Now, he chooses the preachers and assigns the topics. It was Easter Sunday and he was preaching, is there life after death? Come on, Dion. That was like a lob pitch, wasn't it? You know, boom, you know, right out of here. But to his credit, you know, it's not an easy question for people who aren't believers. And we expect in our congregation and online, there are a lot of people who question our Christian faith and our Christian beliefs. And so uh, beyond just what the Bible said, he addressed that question and he did a great job. If you want to go back and archive that. You also heard Anne-Marie and Brent up here saying that he had like 200 questions last week. I had like five. So... You guess who preached the better sermon, you know, just, just teasing Dion because I know he's watching even now from a remote location where it's sun shining. So. But we're glad you're here. Today I'm going to talk about the question of how do I and should I and can I be a Christian witness to people of another faith who mean me violence? And that's become a big issue uh, in our world today. Let's pray because uh, I need God's wisdom And uh, we all need uh, a better understanding from God's perspective on this important topic. We pray. May the words of my mouth, Lord, not be my opinion, not be a political position, but may the words of my mouth be your truth. And may the hearts of all your children who are assembled or who will hear this message, may they be willing to accept or at least hear what you have to say on the subject and turn it over in their heart because your wisdom, while not always rational, while not always easily understood, who can know the mind of God, the scripture says, is truth. Help us, Lord, even as we wrestle with truth uh, to accept and, and, and to dwell on the truth. Uh, convert our hearts, Lord, who are stubborn often to believe. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it should not surprise you that this is a a question, you know, that uh, is being asked by us, by people across the world. You know, how should Christians respond to such violence against them uh, when it's being perpetuated by people who supposedly are following the wishes of their God? And the headlines are full of information and and uh, weekly atrocities of terrorism that are popping up across the world. Uh, normally during the course of my day, I'll kick over to my homepage on my website and catch up on what news is breaking. And sometimes there'll be a flashing banner of some ongoing situation. It never surprises me or, or you might get there uh, later in the day. And you kind of expect that somewhere there's been an outbreak of violence. It's become a part and part of our experience. 
Uh, we remember in April 2014, a group named Boko Haram, many of us had not heard of them before, uh, they're in the northern portion of the country of Nigeria in Africa. That's the most populated country in Nigeria. It's also the most prosperous country in Nigeria, and it's also the most divided country in Nigeria. It's divided economically, and it's divided according to lines of faith as well. The northern port of Nigeria is largely made up of Muslims, and uh, they are extremely poor. They resent the south, where there's a lot of oil, the most oil in all of Africa, being pumped out of there, highly educated people, and mostly Christian people. And so there's a war of economy, and there's also a war of faith being raged there. And Boko Haram is the Muslim group that has come down and constantly raided in the south. And we remember in April of 2014 how they uh, raided a Catholic girls' school and took captive 276 schoolgirls and sold them into slavery. And I remember the uh, First Lady of the United States and, and others uh, conducted a campaign, get our girls back. They never did get those girls back. Some of them have escaped and have told of the atrocities, but most of them were just sold into slavery. It's not unusual. It's not an isolated incident. ISIS in Iraq and Lebanon and in the Middle East has captured some 3,500 women after uh, destroying their husbands and their families and sold them also into slavery. It's hard to believe that something like that would exist in modern times. There are incredibly gruesome images of children that have been actually crucified. It's a common practice now uh, in the Middle East again because they simply would not convert to Islam and maintained their Catholic faith. Homosexual men have been thrown from high-rise buildings to their death while people laughed and videotaped their dying. On one occasion, 45 Christians were burned in cages after being covered with fuel. We uh, saw the horrendous pictures of 21 Coptic Christians, Christians from the region of, of uh, Egypt following the religious practices of the Coptic faith, which is a Christian faith, were beheaded along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. 600 captives um, gunned down, like Hitler gunned down the Jews uh, who were captured in Iraq. Some of them even Muslim, just not the right kind of Muslims. And then in November of 2015, just a few months ago, Paris, France, uh, that terrorist activity, people were going to soccer games, going to concerts, and eating at sidewalk cafes in the peaceful city of Paris, 130 killed, 368 injured, 100 seriously. San Bernardino, California, that uh, terrorist couple, uh, been radicalized. Uh, went to a holiday party for the place where they work among their colleagues who had just thrown a baby shower for them just weeks before and killed 14 of them there, 22 seriously injured. And even this month, and it just continues and continues, on March 5th, this month in Yemen, uh, a country uh, in the Middle East, uh, there was a, a Catholic home for the elderly and the frail, it wasn't just for Christians. It was for all the people of that region, Catholic people doing their Christian thing there, was raided, and uh, patients and, and uh, caregivers alike were killed, including four nuns and a priest that was serving there was taken captive. They threatened to crucify him on Good Friday to mock his faith. We still don't know what happened to him. 
And then just March 22nd, just a couple of weeks ago, Brussels, Belgium, a suicide bomb with nails and ball bearings in an airport, a metro station, 32 killed, 150 hospitalized, 61 in critical condition. And we go on and on and probably something today as well. So as, as we unpack the story and as we get to the scripture, I think it's good that we just start at square one and, and just look at some definitions and better understand, you know, what we're facing. Uh, some definitions. I just have 10 of them here that I thought we ought to uh, talk about because they're bandied around and yet I think a lot of people are confused by them. We hear Islam and we hear Muslim. What's the difference? Well, Islam is the Arabic, the Arabic word meaning submission or surrender. And they don't mean submission or surrender to them or or to a certain uh, uh, earthly official. They mean complete submission and complete surrender to Allah. There is only one God. His name is Allah and his prophet is Muhammad. And so it's complete submission and complete surrender uh, to Allah. Allah, they believe, is the God of, uh, of creation, the God of Abraham. And they trace their lineage back to Abraham, even as we do and even as the Jewish people do. We trace it through Isaac. They trace their heritage back through Ishmael. Uh, the son that Abraham bore through his uh, maidservant, uh, Hagar. So uh, it's an Arabic word that means complete surrender to Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Muslim is the Arabic word meaning one who surrenders. And so the Muslim is the person, Islam is the faith. And so they are Muslim people who worship Islam. It means one who surrenders, Islam means surrenders. So uh, next is ISIS. We hear this bandied about a lot in the press. The initials stand for the Islamic State, meaning, you know, a a political system managing and controlling territory of Iraq and Syria, you know, based in Iraq and Syria. The president prefers a different term. He calls them ISIL. It means the Islamic State of Iraq and Levant. Levant is a non-geographic term. It doesn't mean just Syria. It means uh, Lebanon, uh, parts of the Gaza Strip. Even parts of Palestine, especially the West Bank, parts of Syria. It's a term before there was national borders established after World War II. He prefers this term, which has put him in direct conflict with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, who says they have no claim on this country. And this seems to also uh, justify their claim to that land. And, and so that's a, that's a problem between the president and the prime minister of Israel. And you know they don't have the, the friendliest of relationship. Boko Haram is an Arabic word which actually means Western influence forbidden, and that's the Muslim people who control the northern part of Nigeria, the most populated and most affluent nation in, Israel, or in uh, Africa. Now, the Boko Haram don't like that name. They prefer a longer name, which I am not even going to attempt to uh, translate, uh, which means people committed to the prophet and jihad. That's, that's how they prefer to refer to themselves. We are... We are people who are committed to the prophet and jihad. And so it begs the question, what does jihad mean? Well, jihad, you know, most Americans would say that means they're on a holy war. And uh, most Muslims uh, resent that term. Uh, many Muslims, in fact, the majority uh, are moderate or even peaceful. I, I believe that's absolutely true. Uh, they prefer that jihad be translated according to its true meaning. It's just a struggle against disbelief. And it's not just the disbelief of others, it's also the disbelief within their heart. And so we too would say that we're practicing a jihad. You know, we fight daily against our sinful flesh and against those things that are not godly that we find ourselves being influenced by or doing. And so it's a struggle, it literally means a struggle against disbelief, but it's not only internal, it's also external. 
And there are over 100 passages in the Quran which uh, uh, encourage uh, violence against others who do not practice the true faith of Islam. And so therein lies the problem. Uh, Sharia law is society's laws based on the teachings of the Quran. Uh, And in Europe... And there have been efforts in America, too, to establish regions or neighborhoods uh, where uh, people are allowed to have a parallel government, where they are allowed to uh, manage their own people under Sharia law. And uh, that's been a big problem in Europe. And uh, so far, America has forbidden uh, any kind of parallel legal system uh, in our nation where they would judge themselves according to their own laws, although that is uh, certainly being sought by many Muslims. That's what Sharia law means. The Quran, which is the basis of all their teaching, is the Islamic, Islamic sacred book that uh, Muslims believe was dictated to Muhammad uh, by the angel Gabriel. So you see there's some parallels and some similarities uh, that cross between you know, Jewish, Christian, and the Muslim faith, the idea of Gabriel. We know who Gabriel is, and they know who Gabriel is as well. By the way, Muslim people do recognize Jesus as a historic person and also a prophet. They just don't think he was the greatest or the last prophet. That was Muhammad. Muhammad, the last and most important prophet of Allah, considered the founder of Islam. And then uh, there's another one, uh, the uh, caliphate, which is the idea of a region of the world being governed by a recognized prophet of Allah. That's uh, uh, caliphate, which is uh, a term that is often uh, promoted to uh, by folks who practice the Muslim faith. And they are hoping for a worldwide caliphate that the whole world would be under the leadership of what they believe to be the true God and his representatives here on earth. Now, this seems to us like something that is unprecedented in history. There's never been such violence as we're experiencing today, especially against Christians. But that's not true. In in fact, there's nothing new. Solomon told us this in chapter one of Ecclesiastes. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something that's never happened before. Solomon, even back then, you know, a thousand years before Jesus said, it was here already long ago. It was here even before our time. And this is true of uh, religious battles and and, uh, wars being fought in the name of religion. It was certainly true of the Assyrians who were a barbarous people. They would establish large poles with pointed tips on them and stack corpses of the enemy that they uh, defeated outside the gates of those towns. The Babylonians, the Philistines that fought against the Jews all the time and the Egyptians, the Romans, the Persians, the Greeks. If you didn't honor their God, if you didn't honor their culture, uh, you were subject to extermination. And then even uh, the Crusades that took place for more than 400 years from just after 1000 AD until about 1400 AD where uh, Europe would send armies to Israel to reclaim Jerusalem and the Holy Land for the sake of the Christian faith. And then Muslims would take it uh, away. And so back and forth, back and forth, these wars waged for 400 years. And after the end of those wars, there were the Turkish wars where the Ottoman Empire, which was based in Constantinople, swept through, swept through India, killing half of India and uh, in the name of, uh, of uh, Islam as well. And, and even finding its way uh, onto the edges of the continent of Europe. In fact, uh, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was written in uh, 1529 when the uh, Ottoman wars were being conducted. And they believed that had the Pope's armies not been so uh, engaged in fighting against the Islamic hordes that were coming from Turkey, 
that he would have simply sent his armies north and crushed the Reformation before it ever occurred. Uh, and, and some believe that Martin Luther actually wrote that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, not against the Catholic Church, but rather against the threat of, uh, of the Ottoman Empire and the Islamic faith sweeping across Europe. You know, mighty fortresses are God. You know, a trusty shield and weapon. Take they our goods, fame, child and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. You know, a declaration of faith in God to not allow the loss of ultimate faith. Then even after the Reformation, Luther died in 1546, from 1600 to about 1630, there was something called the Thirty Years' War. You know, when the Ottoman Empire had been pushed back, the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor were finally able to send armies to the north to squash the Reformation, but by then it had spread wide, and so that all the Scandinavian countries and, and the countries of Northern Europe were Protestant, and they fought against Catholics. Catholics and Christians, Protestants, fighting against each other. Different shades of Christianity. And yet it decimated Europe. Uh, About a third of all Europeans died in the Thirty Years' War, and in some places, as many as half the population succumbed. And only 75 years ago, Hitler killed 6 million Jews through the Holocaust. 1.6 million children, they believe. So this idea of genocide on the basis of faith, is not a new thing. We think it's new. It's the struggle that we're facing in this era, but it's not a new thing. Now, we're not here to talk necessarily about politics and national, uh, national uh, uh, policy of war, but I, I do need to say that Christianity is not necessarily a, a pacifist uh, teaching. In fact, there are scriptures that talk about a just war, That there are reasons that you should protect yourself. There are reasons that you should protect others. And there are reasons for nations to go to war. And certainly you could never argue from a Christian perspective that all killing is wrong. In fact, in Romans chapter 11, or Romans chapter 13, excuse me, it says that we should respect ruling authorities for they do not carry the sword in vain. Only God has the right to take life and those to whom God has given that authority. He has given that authority to duly instituted uh, uh, government agencies. There's also a Proverb 24 that says, If you falter in the time of need, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Save those staggering towards the slaughter. You know, we have an obligation to protect those who are innocent. And uh, that's a dicey thing to decide. But Jesus would not be distracted from his mission. There were lots of opportunities for people to say, weigh in on Rome. Weigh in on uh, the fact that we are an occupied nation. And they urge religious leaders to this day to get involved in politics, you know. In fact, it always amazes me when we see these political candidates take the pulpit of churches, you know, and, and they show up on the evening news preaching to some congregation. I think that's against some violation of um, IRS rules. I'm not sure, but that's not going to happen here. You know, we're not going to be distracted from our purpose, which is not that. Please vote for godly candidates. I'm going to leave it there, but you decide who that person is and what would be best for our nation. But Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. I'm not going to cross over. I'm not going to weigh in on that. You know, even though I'm sure he had opinions, you know, he was here for a different purpose and so are we. You know, even the apostles were arrested for continuing to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior after he was crucified, after he arose from the dead, after he descended into heaven. And uh, if they wouldn't stop their preaching, they were going to be put to death. And so they had a big council. What, do we, what are we to do with these guys? And they forbid them to preach. 
And Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. If you have to put us to death, put us to death. You will not stop this message. And that's kind of where we stand with it, you know. We are here for a purpose of faith, not a purpose of politic. Well, let's look at our scripture finally. Uh, You know, can I coexist peacefully with other faiths who mean me harm from Colossians 4 verses 2 to 6? I highly recommend that you spend some time with this in your homes as well in the deeper questions that will be emailed to you or that you have as a part of uh, the study for the sermon series. Let's read it from verses 2 through 6. Paul says when you're talking about how you live in a, in a culture that is not all Christian, you should devote yourselves to prayer. You should be watchful and you should be thankful. Now, you could preach a three-part sermon right there, being watchful and prayerful and thankful, not focusing only what's wrong, but also the favor and blessing that you have. And pray for us too. Don't just pray for yourselves, but pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Paul was in prison for his faith at this time. Pray for us too, that our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He was in a Roman prison at the time. Pray that I may proclaim clearly as I should, even while I'm suffering for my faith. Let my faith be obvious. And he's going to talk about what that should look like. Be wise in the way you act toward people who don't accept your point of view, people who don't accept your faith, people who are outside your faith. Make the most of every opportunity, and there will be opportunities. Let your conversation be always full of grace and yet seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. What an incredible, uh, insightful scripture. I'm going to spend a little bit of time with this. There's just a a simple three-step approach that Paul has towards people of a different faith. First of all, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is not what many people think it is. It's, It's not just a quiet time. It's not just a meditative time. There's a scripture that says, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we have a high priest who has left this earth and entered into heaven and makes avocation for us before the throne of God. Prayer is actually uh, knowing that God hears us. He's asked us to make our request known, and he will answer us according to his wisdom, not always according to our request. You know, we often think of our faith as giving us access to heaven upon the day of our death. It gives us access to heaven even now as we make our requests known to him. So pray that you would be wise. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, after I leave, people will draw you uh, into court and they will make accusations against you on account of me. Do not worry as to what you shall say. You know, pray and the spirit will give you wisdom. So pray and expect God to give you wisdom beyond your years, beyond your experience to speak for your faith and to honor the Lord. And then he also says, and also pray for Christian leaders. Man, I would hope that you're doing that. I would hope that you're not only praying for the issues in your life, but you're praying for the Christian faith, that you're praying for Christian leaders, that you pray for your pastors, that you pray for your church, you know, that, uh, that God would open a door for us. That's what Paul asked, that he would give us opportunity uh, because we have an important message that needs to be heard, a message that is life-saving. So pray for us. And let me say, pray for other Christian leaders too. Uh, we're not in competition with other Christians, Amen. Amen. You know, if they believe that Jesus lived, that he died and he rose again and he was the son of God, you know, we're on the same page with them. There may be other different beliefs. They may have other different traditions. They may dress funny. You know, they may think we dress funny. We don't care about those things. 
You know, pray for them. If they're preaching Jesus Christ, be an advocate for them. Don't tear down other Christians, please. Pray for Christian leaders. Finally, pray even for those who reject the faith. What better model do we have than Jesus? Now think about this. Jesus is God among us, Emmanuel, God with us. So God from the cross prayed what? Father, forgive them because they're ignorant. You know, Jesus prayed for the forgiveness of the very people who put him to death. And this is in line with the Old Testament, where in Ezekiel, God says, I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and find life. We should be praying for ISIS. We should be praying for the terrorists uh, that are being radicalized by this false message. Yeah, I don't know about you, but if, if I ever have anger towards somebody, I don't feel good about that. It bothers me. I have a conscience about that. And I'm kind of forced to deal with that. It doesn't let me rest. I would pray that those people who have committed such atrocities as I have mentioned would be revolted by it. We know that some of the atrocities that were committed in Africa in the past have caused some of those young soldiers that were radicalized and caused to even kill their own families, that they were troubled by that. They could find no rest until they found Jesus. So let's stop and pray about that now. Lord, we commend ISIS. We commend their leaders to you. And we ask that they would be revolted by their conscience to some of the things they have witnessed and to some of the things in which they have participated. We pray that they would be driven by a troubled heart in search of the peace that surpasses understanding, the shalom, uh, the wholeness and the wellness that only you can provide. Lord, keep us mindful to pray uh, for our enemies even as you prayed for those who crucified you in Christ. Amen. Secondly, uh, he says, not only pray, but conduct yourselves with wisdom. Boy, it's, it's so important that you do this, that you not give as good as you get. Uh, years ago, uh, Carol and I were part of a national organization that did some marriage counseling, and I don't remember everything uh, that happened there. Carol would say, amen, you don't. Uh, but, uh, but I remember that there was a level two uh, attitude, always receives a level two response. Now, I don't know what the level stood for, but I know level two was not good. And so when you're angry, you will only incite anger in others. You know, that is not the way to respond. The scripture says, a kind word turns away wrath. You know, kindness to your enemies will irritate many of them and confuse the rest. You know, they cannot ignore kindness. They expect you to be as angry as they are. And when you're not, it gets their attention. Here's how the Bible put it in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you. Now, it's not all on you. There's every relationship's 50-50. But don't let any of your behavior continue to cause the aggravation. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what God's will is for you. Do not take your revenge, friends. Do not give as good as you get. Do not plot your your strategy, you know, to, to give back. But leave room for God's wrath. And people will say, well, pastor, you're asking me to do nothing about these people who are mean to me, about these, these people who mean me harm? No, I'm not asking you to do nothing. I'm asking you to turn it over to God. It's not the same as doing nothing. He has more resources than you. He can bring more consequence to bear than you can. You know, he can change a heart. You can't. You know, turn it over to God. For it is written in his mind to take care of things like that. Let me deal with it, says the Lord. Instead, this is what you should do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
You know, the aid that we give to these countries. Uh, who else comes to their aid during tsunamis and tragedies in India and Pakistan and the earthquakes? You know, who sends the tents? Who brings the aid? If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will trouble them because they thought bad about you. You will bring burning coals upon their head. That's true nationally. It's also true personally. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So know what is left for God to do and know what is for you to do. You know, the revenge part, the consequence part, that's God's part. And then finally, I love this phrase. I don't, I don't think there's any place in the Bible it's spoken better. Speak with grace seasoned with salt. I love the combination because grace is love, undeserved love. Speak with that, that attitude. But don't compromise your convictions. You can have conviction and still be kind, can't you? Some Christians can't. There's an old saying that no matter what fight you're engaged with, you always have people on your side that you wish were fighting for the enemy. <laughs> I've seen that true. You know, I know this person is a Christian, but man, they are mean-spirited. You know, I don't want to claim them. You know, be gracious. Maintain your conviction. You can have conviction and be gracious about your conviction. And I would pray that that would be uh, your way. In fact, uh, there's a phrase that was common during the Reformation by Melanchthon, the right-hand man of Luther, but also actually comes from St. Augustine, which was in the 4th century. Uh, he said, in essentials, let there be unity. You know, we're not going to compromise the essentials. Jesus was the Son of God. He lived. He died. He was raised again. You know, you're not going to get me to compromise on that. In non-essentials, there are other things that are important to me. I, I care about baptism. I care about the Lord's Supper. I care about creation versus evolution. I care about all those things. I think the Bible has things to say about all those things. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, dismiss you if you're still struggling with some of those things. Let there be liberty. In unity, uh, essentials. In non-essentials, let there be liberty. There can be different points of view. We're still going to heaven. We're still preaching Jesus. In all things, even people that teach things contrary to the basic Christian faith, let there be Christian charity. You know, I pray that that will always mark your witness and your faith. Well, let's see if you've texted some questions in at this point and uh, see what you might have asked. I was in the military and participated in the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. How do I reconcile my action? Leading to people's death with the commandment, thou shall not kill. Now, the Quakers would say that also applies to military, and I can't serve in the military. Uh, our, our church body, I think, has taken the right position on this. We allow conscientious objection, but we, we don't argue that it's wrong to be engaged in war. In fact, some of those passages I mentioned before from Proverbs say, do not hasten while others are struggling to their death. Be quick to act. Be quick to rescue them uh, from while they stagger towards their destruction. There is such a thing as a just war. We're not here to talk about that today. But if you can't reconcile that in your own heart, uh, then uh, our church body at least allows for individual uh, conscientious objection. Even pastors can conscientiously object. But they're not dismissed from service. They have to serve, but they can serve in a non-combatant capacity. You know, that's kind of the position that our church body has taken. Although I, I would uh, hope that you could find peace about that and know that um, in, in your action, uh, more people were saved than were destroyed. And it is tragic that there is collateral damage even in war. 
But uh, I pray that you would understand that there is such a thing as a time when you must fight. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And there is a time for war. Next question. Do I compromise my own safety or the safety of my family by befriending Muslims? I, I, I don't think so. I, I think you should be alert and aware, but uh, I think there are as many violent Christians as there are violent Muslims. I, we don't have, you know, people who are uh, radicalizing Christians in the same way, that's for sure. And I, I think you should watch, you know, they say if you see something, tell somebody, you know, and I, I think you should do that. You should be careful. But for goodness sakes, we're to be the salt and light, right? We're not to hide our, li- our light under a bushel basket. I, I told a story in the previous service about Carol. Uh, she was at Walmart down in Manchester. And if you've ever been down in Manchester at some of the stores down there, there's a, there's a large Muslim population as you move further east on, on Manchester Road. And the, the clerk who was checking her out was obviously Muslim, but from his dress. And Carol was uh, just in a foul mood because of the election process and all the orneriness that's going on and, and how, how childish it all is. Uh, and uh, he said, how are you today? And she says, I'm a little frustrated with the election process. And he says, our God will provide not to worry, he said. And Carol says, I, I know he'll provide, but uh, it's still frustrating that people act like that. And he says, our God will provide. And she was getting a little irritated because he was assuming that his God is her God. And, and she, was, uh, she said to him, she goes, I know our God will provide. He sent Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. I know he loves us. And he goes, whoa, you go too far. <laughs> so I, I think it's great that we have interaction, that we have opportunity to be with people of a different, you don't have to go somewhere in the world. You know, there are people from the world all around us, and you have opportunity to be a Christian witness. And she took her groceries and said, you know, I speak the truth. Have an awesome day. <laughs> like, you know, just, just leave it. You don't have to plant and harvest on the same day, do you? Wherever, wherever the word of God goes, there goes God. So just trust that, you know, just make your Christian witness, you know, kindly, but, you know, seasoned with salt, filled with grace, and there's power in that. Did I avoid that question? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's an issue. I, I would hope that you wouldn't, you know, turn your back or if you see somebody with a, with a shawl around their head, you know, and, and then you go to the, what you think is the Christian person down here. You know, I, I intentionally go to people who appear to be of a different faith and show my kindness to them. I think it's an opportunity. If we support Jerusalem as solely belonging to Israel, since Muslims also claim us, does that promote more violence? I think we should take it for Christianity. Neither the Jews nor the Muslims should own it, is what I think. I'm tongue-in-cheek. I'm kidding you. I don't, I don't, you know, heaven is the Lord's throne. Earth is his footstool. I don't think he cares about a geographic location one better than the other. And, uh, you know, I believe that they're going to have to figure all this stuff out. And that's a political question that I, I pray for my leaders to have wisdom about that. I, I would hope that all of us could peef, peacefully coexist. I've been, in, I've been in Israel three or four times in my ministry, and I, I've actually gone into some of the mosques that are now uh, on, the, on the Temple Mound, and uh, I've, I've been chided by Muslims who were there. The Muslim women will yell at you to leave, and, uh, but you have a right to be there and to worship there, and that's a place where, you know, Christ was tried, and it's important to us, it's important to Muslims, it's important to Jews, and uh, I think we should practice coexistence. Have you seen that bumper sticker coexist that's made up of all those religious symbols? It used to aggravate me. I always wanted to ram their car, you know, when I saw that, but, but uh, I've gotten past that, and now I, I think, well, that's the way we should be. We should coexist. 
We should coexist peacefully. It gives me an opportunity to reflect my faith into their lives and to hopefully win some for Christ. So I think we coexist without compromise. That's why I like that phrase, be filled with grace but seasoned with salt. You can be kind to people, but don't give away your faith. Don't say it doesn't matter. It matters. You know it matters. So share your faith while also being kind and gracious. Uh, George W. Bush, there we go, once said, fight the enemy on their turf and they will stay on their turf. Barack Obama pulled our troops and there continues to be attacks, which appropriate is correct. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> There's a passage in Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says, the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. You know, and there's another passage that I love in, in Romans chapter 11 that says, who could know the mind of God and who could ever be his counselor? You know, uh, you know, pray that our leaders will make wise decisions. I don't even think we should go back and second guess and what difference does that make? You know, let, let's move forward with the most uh, wise policy and let's pray for our leaders. I don't care whether the president in office now is your president, whether you voted for him or whether you hate him, pray for him. That's what you're asked to do and, and pray through this election process uh, that God's will will be done. And I do think that we should pray for godly leaders. Um, But whatever the case, God will not desert us. Jesus was born into an occupied country by a foreign power. We haven't gotten that far yet. (laughs) So, you know, it could be worse. So keep praying for them. I think I'm out of time. Let me uh, close with a prayer. Lord, bless us as your people. You know, uh, today there'll be 2,000 people come through this room and, and uh, another 1,000 people who will watch us live stream and even more through the course of the week. That's not a small thing, Lord. You know, we have an influence. We have a stretch. We have a reach. We have relationships. Thousands of people that we all know. As we reflect our faith into their life, help us to strengthen other Christians and help us to raise awareness among those who uh, are yet to accept you as Lord and Savior. Lord, Uh, Bless us to be a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.